Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Every week we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand in hand with baking for those we love. In a month that is often synonymous with sweethearts, we are celebrating amore, Italian style. From tiramisu to cannoli cake, we've got a lineup of delicious goodies to treat your sweeties or yourself this month. And first up is a classic Southern Italian cookie that takes its name from its star ingredient, pignoli. We'll also help you win your next bakery-themed quiz night as we clear up some commonly confused baking terms. So put the kettle on and get ready for some sweet talk. Stefan, in this month of February, we're kicking off another preheated book club, and you found and selected our book this month. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about it? I know we haven't done a book club in a while. Super excited to bring that back. It's very low stakes for listeners who have not been with us before. <laughs> That's true. All you need to do to participate in our book club is read the book. Correct. That's it. Done. <laughs> yeah. And so this month, we thought it would be fun during our Italian month to read about Italian chef Anna Del Conti. You might know that she is often regarded as Nigella Lawson's inspiration and mentor. So if you have any of Nigella's books, you probably have seen or heard her reference Anna and her work and the influence that it's played on Nigella's career. So we thought it would be fun to do her memoir, and it's called Risotto and Nettles. I love the name of that book. I love eating risotto. I used to make risotto all of the time. I've mm, yeah. had it kind of fall out of my rotation over the last couple of years. I think it's time to bring it back. And then nettles is so interesting because I think of nettles as something very Pacific Northwest because living in Louisiana, I had never even heard of nettles. Oh. And it wasn't until I moved up here and started hiking in the woods that I learned about nettles. Well, you know, I think it's a wonderful title for a memoir because when I think of risotto I think of something comforting and creamy and very smooth and then of course nettles being sharp and scratchy and itchy and of course that's kind of how most people's lives are. I don't know a lot about Anna other than she was kind of wildly heralded as bringing Italian home cooking to England. Her first book was called Portrait of Pasta back in 1975. <laughs> hmm, portrait of Pasta. And she also calls her cooking Britalian because she, although is Italian by birth, she has lived in England since 1949. In addition to her memoir, she's also published seven cookbooks, so a very prolific lady. And I think she will have a very interesting life to read about. Now, heads up to listeners in the U.S., I had a hard time getting my hands on this book. It was not available at my library I had to do an online order, which is, you know, no big deal, and I'm quite happy to do that, but I didn't find it locally. Yeah, and for here in Europe and the UK, I even got mine on my Kindle, but I think secondhand bookstores here might have that, or indeed secondhand stores in the U.S. might as well. Well, listeners, we are excited to have you read along with us, and we will be reminding you throughout the month about our book club selection, and then we will discuss the book in our last episode of the month, episode 165. We'll put a post on our Facebook listeners group before that so you can chime in with your thoughts and let us know what you thought about the book as well. That's right. So once again, it's Risotto and Nettles by Anna Del Conti. 
Stefan, the last couple of years for the month of February, we have chosen Pi School as our theme. Pi, Pi School, I know, the month of Pi. Pi has been just a never-ending topic of fascination for us. There's always something new to learn. Yeah. There is always a new twist or a new trick. I approve our Facebook request for listeners to join our group. Yeah. And we ask them that hard-hitting question, cake (laughs) or pie. Right, right. Yeah, how does that stack up? (laughs) Well, I, I should keep a record somewhere. I always read the answers, and some of them are quite funny. But one thing I've noticed is at least one out of every 10 responses is someone who answers, pie, but I'm still not confident yep. about crust. Yes. Yes. Oh, so, yeah. I want our listeners to know we are not abandoning pie. We promise to bring pie back. But in a little twist, we decided this month of February 2020 to switch to Italian themed desserts. And I'd like to tell you why. Sounds great. I got a call from my good friend, Shirley, a couple of months ago. And she said, have you and Stefan ever covered tiramisu on the show? Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. No, we haven't, even though I don't know about you, but I love it. And I said, why do you ask? Mm. She said, well, I went out to dinner last night with a friend of mine, and we went to this great Italian restaurant. And at the end of the meal, I told him he was not allowed to order the tiramisu because I am sick and tired of listening to him complain about how it doesn't taste like the tiramisu that he had as a child that he's used to. Yes. And it made me think, you know, there is some perfect tiramisu memory or some perfect tiramisu recipe out there. And so I just thought, well, perfect. If we cover tiramisu in this month of February with Valentine's Day, it's going to be perfect. And so let's go ahead and find some other Italian desserts as well. And, you know, it's so funny that you brought up tiramisu when we were investigating this month and researching it. You had broached the idea of Italian because I'm not a tiramisu fan. And I think it goes back to being one of those desserts that is so, mm, it was really, really trendy for a while and kind of everywhere you went, it was on the restaurant menus. And sometimes desserts like that, you just get tired of them. I don't know, you can run into some not great versions, which kind of sounds like what your friend was experiencing as well. So I am really excited to do an awesome tiramisu and fall back in love with it. I'm really excited for you too, Stefan. I can't wait. Yeah, but we have so many other yummy things this month as well. And that's what I wanted to talk a little bit about now is is how we came up with some of these other yummy desserts. I belong to a really fun Facebook group called Sicilian Southern Italian Cooking. It's got a ton of members. Every post generates between, I don't know, sometimes between 100 to 500 comments. Oh my gosh. Comments. I know. I know. And I posted back there months and months ago to say that, hey, you know, I'm interested in maybe doing an Italian month and what desserts do you guys Mm -hmm. recommend? And so I took a lot of their suggestions. And in fact, Pignoli is one of the suggestions that I took. And that's what we're going to start off this month with. But I wanted to make a nod to some of the suggestions people made that we didn't select. Okay. First up was biscotti. I think that is a classic cookie Mm -hmm. that many people associate with Italian. But we had already done a biscotti way back in episode 23 when we did Dory Greenspan's breakfast biscottis. Yep. We also had a suggestion from several people for ricotta cookies, and these looked fabulous. Okay. There was, in fact, one that was a lemon ricotta cookie that I almost ran into the kitchen and made (laughs) right at that moment. (laughs) But it was a knockoff, or not a knockoff, it was a copycat recipe from a Nordstrom recipe. And so I thought, hmm. Might save that for a month when we do a month of copycat recipes. 
Oh, right. And for people who don't know what Nordstrom is, it's actually a department store in the U.S. I don't know. Probably everybody knows what Nordstrom is. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's from their cafe or something then, right? Yes, right. absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Now, a lot of the other suggestions that I got were words that I had to look up. I didn't even know what they were. So <laughs> there was a suggestion of a tortoni, which mm. is an Italian frozen cream dessert, usually flavored with a liqueur and topped with almonds and maraschino cherries. Mm, okay. There was a cucciadati, which is an Italian fig cookie. These are fig stuffed cookies, and the outer cookie is a pastry dough. It's usually covered with icing. It's typically topped with rainbow sprinkles. Oh, please send me that recipe, and I'll do a little sidebar. Yum. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, there was the very famous pizzelle. Now, these are traditional Italian waffle cookies. They're made from flour, eggs, sugar, butter, and flavoring. They're pretty easy to make. There's few ingredients. But can you guess why I did not select this particular item? I think I can. Don't you need a special iron or cookie maker to make those? Okay. Yes. Yes, you need a Pizzell iron. And I thought, especially for you living in London with your voltage adapter, (laughs) I just wasn't sure that you wanted to commit to a Pizzell iron. And, you know, I'm, I'm against the whole unitasker thing. And since, as far as I can tell, the only thing you do with a Pizzell iron is make Pizzells, I decided I would pass on this particular one. Well, Andrea, I have such a fond memory of Pizzells from when we worked at the law firm together 20 years ago now. Oh, yes. Do you remember at holiday time or other kind of potluck events, there was a very kind of hard-charging attorney at the firm, and he would always bring in homemade Pizzells, and he was so proud of them. And it was always very touching to me because if you would pick out of a lineup who was going to bring in homemade cookies and bask in the <laughs> pride of that like he would not be in your top five like <laughs> that's a really good point do you remember and they were delicious and he was so proud of those pizzelles I absolutely remember and I think what you'll see and what I bet our listeners are aware of as well is Italian baking runs with such a deep stripe of pride and nostalgia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so many recipes that I found start off with, you know, I remember my mother making this at this particular time of year. Like pizzelles are associated with Easter. Oh, okay. These pignoli that we're going to make, a lot of people only made those once a year, and they only made them at Christmas time. Okay. It does seem that when there's recipes that are only made once a year – I've decided that there's usually three reasons. One is uh, ingredients. You know, perhaps the ingredients are only available a certain time of year. Okay. The other reason is cost. If they are expensive to make, then obviously you're going to limit the amount of time. Sure. And then the third reason being labor. If they're extremely labor intensive, then you're not going to be whipping them out on a weekly basis. Yeah. So it was really interesting looking through these various recipes when I would read the ones about, I only made this once a year, I only make this once a year, trying to decide why that was. Mm. I guess that's what we'll be deciding this week with the pignolis if our listeners bake along with us. Now, Andrea, these are entirely new cookies to me. If I've had them, I don't remember. And they have a really great set of ingredients here. We are doing a pignoli cookie that was published on Epicurious, but originally from Gourmet in December of 2002. It starts off with an ingredient we have not baked with before on the show, and that is two 8-ounce cans of almond paste, not marzipan. That's uh, an almond paste as well, although a different type. You're starting with that as the base, adding confectioner's sugar, salt, egg whites, mild honey, your pignoli or pine nuts, a cup of those, 
And that's it. I mean, what is that? One, two, three, four, five, six ingredients. Yeah, with one of those ingredients being salt. So Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You have some parchment paper. I do think that's important for this recipe. And a mixer, a food processor, and then a pastry bag because you can have the option to pipe these onto the parchment paper. Andrea, have you made these? Have you eaten these? What's your experience with pinoli? Stefan, I have never made these or eaten these. When the commenter suggested that I make these, one of the reasons I gravitated to it was that I had a pignoli gelato when I traveled in Italy two years ago that I still have not forgotten. um, It's one of those things that I don't eat pine nuts regularly. I usually have a small stash of them in my freezer. I keep them in the freezer. They are pretty expensive. Yeah. You know, when I listed the reasons why you might make these once a year, Stefan, when you look at the ingredients on the pignoli, I'm thinking that expense is definitely one of the reasons these were only made once a year. And how about that almond paste? I know mine was not, it was not expensive, but it was also not inexpensive. It was, you know, kind of right in the middle. That might be another ingredient that you would only want to splurge on once a year. I agree with that. And not just in terms of cost, but at least for me in the terms of the difficulty of finding it. Yeah. The recipe mentions that you should use two cans of almond paste, and there's a note saying not to get the tubes. I did a little bit more research on that because I searched desperately for the cans and I couldn't find them anywhere. Mm. And I do want to let listeners know I finally was able to find them in I would call boxes. Yeah. You know, they're just eight ounce boxes. Yeah. And they're on the baking aisle. They're in most grocery stores. And the brand that I ended up buying was called yeah. Solo. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and I could not find them in cans here at all. And that may just be not how they're packaged here because this is a US recipe. So mine ended up coming in a, I don't know, I'd call it like a thin foil wrapper. It definitely was not marzipan though, and that seems to be the most important asterisk in this recipe. So I'm hopeful that what I found, which was actually Scandinavian, uh, is going to work here. So at my grocery store, I had the almond paste in a box, in the eight ounce box, like I said, the Solo brand. And then right next to it was in a can from the Solo brand, almond cake and pastry filling. And then of course, I also had marzipan. Yeah. I was thinking, okay, what is the difference between all of these? So the one that I bought, the actual one in the box, and I do believe from doing research, I read that Solo, at least, has evolved from a can to a box. Okay. So that may just be an outdated – I mean, that I guess this recipe is almost 20 years old. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So if you look at the ingredients on the box of almond paste that I bought, the ingredients are blanched almonds, sugar, water, natural flavor, a preservative, potassium – sorbate and then it does say contains tree nuts i mean obviously almonds yeah Yeah. sure right whereas the almond pastry filling that it mentioned the first ingredient there was corn syrup yeah the second ingredient was sugar okay the third ingredient was water so i was like okay we're three ingredients in and we still haven't hit almonds that must really be when they're saying you know if you use this other type you're not going to have the consistency you really want almond to be the first thing that's showing up for you that's what i'm thinking and then okay. when i looked at the marzipan again the first ingredient in marzipan was sugar the second ingredient was almonds the third ingredient was glucose syrup yeah yeah i feel like the almond paste is more pure there was some sugar in it but i just don't think to the extent that there were in these other uh pastry fillings or marzipan so see if you can find almond paste mine was labeled gluten-free which is nice 
And the pignoli is a naturally gluten-free cookie. You know, we're always looking for things that are naturally gluten-free. Right. I think a good way to think about these, um, I read something that said that these are basically an Italian version of a macaroon. And so they're going to be toasty on the outside and creamy on the inside. I am super excited to try them. And, you know, I think they're going to have that just lovely almond flavor. I mean, obviously, there's no other extract or any other flavoring here. No. Nope. You know, a little bit of honey, probably not enough to really make too much of a difference there. So that really nutty crunch from the pine nuts and then the smooth almond paste, I think the flavors are going to be outstanding. Andrea, just a few comments on the preparation. So you're, first of all, pureeing that paste in a food processor, adding the sugar and salt, and finely grinding that. And then you are transferring everything down to the electric mixer. Are you going to use both, or do you think it would be okay to keep that in the food processor? What's your thought there? No, my thought here is I am going to follow this recipe to the T because of the price of the ingredients. Ah, so okay, okay, not messing around. Yeah, while I am tempted to to do that and go, oh my gosh, why am I going to transfer it from a food processor to yeah. a mixer? Yeah. The recipe has a full five minutes in the mixer, and it's turning it into something that is very thick. So I'm going to use my stand mixer. Yes. And I want to make sure I'm going to use my paddle attachment. It doesn't say which one I should be using. But Got it. if the batter is going to be very thick, I'm not going to use my whisk. Right. And then with that thick batter, you are spooning it into a pastry bag. I don't have one of those, so I might try the trick of putting it in a Ziploc and snipping off the corner. But the recipe developer also says, you know, you can just spoon them into rounds about an inch apart on the baking sheet. So I might do that as well. There are a slew of comments on this recipe, and they seem to be from people who either love these cookies and had great success or did not have success. And one thing I noticed was a lot of people said the pastry bag was not necessary. So okay. Okay. I have a pastry bag, but again, it's just another mess and thing to clean and yeah. all that well, sort of yeah, stuff. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I'm just going to go with the spooning method and see how that turns out. That's awesome. I think we are kicking off this month of love with a winner. I am really excited to try these. Me too. So remember, everyone, we will have a link to this recipe in the show notes for this episode, which is episode 162 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com as well as over in our Facebook listeners group. Andrea, we enjoy the baking world for many reasons, but one that appeals to us both is the lack of drama and controversy. I love the way you say that now. <laughs> Thank you. I know I've adopted that. <laughs> Bakers are kind and generous folks, and you rarely find the sniping and backbiting so prevalent in some other fields. However, that doesn't mean they won't take exception to an incorrect usage of a baking term. Oh no, that's right. Luckily, we're here to help clear up any potential disagreements in a segment we're calling Commonly Confused. All right, so let's start with one we've seen on our own Facebook listeners group, the macaron versus the macaroon. They're both cookies, they're both delicious, and the words do look a lot alike. But other than that, they're entirely different. Yes, the French macaron is meringue-based, made with almond flour, egg whites, and sugar, while the American macaroon is made with coconut, egg whites, and powdered sugar. And I'll admit, my favorite version of these uses sweetened condensed milk. Visually, a macaron is a sandwich cookie with a delicate eggshell texture and a delicious filling that comes in a wide variety of flavors, from lemon to chocolate to pistachio, to name just a few. They're not overly sweet, and they're best eaten within a few days of baking. Meanwhile, a macaroon looks a bit like a haystack, lumpy with shredded coconut and often very sweet. They are quick and easy to whip together and can actually be frozen for up to three months. 
I learned back in episode 11 when I attempted to make macarons that they are not for the faint of heart. (laughs) They take time, patience, and skill. And didn't I end up sending you a macaron mat in the mail? It's when I was still living in Seattle. You did. You had an extra. I I forgot about that. It was the only (laughs) time I ever used it. I think it was hot pink. (laughs) I think you're right. As listeners Rachel, Shelley, Taryn, and Emily, to name just a few, already know. And listeners Vicky and Lois have added macarons to their 20 for 20 list and posted a picture of their first attempts in our Facebook listeners group. And based on their photos, I'd say they're well on their way. Yeah. All right, next up, streusel versus strudel. Now, this is one that appears to get confused based upon the name alone, as they're two entirely different things. Strudel is layers of thin, flaky pastry often wrapped around a fruit filling. While a streusel is a mixture of softened butter, sugar, and flour that is crumbled on top of cakes and pies. In fact, we made a streusel quite recently with our pumpkin pie shortbread bars in episode 160, as well as the carrot cake coffee cake back in episode 152. Streusel is a German term, and the word means strewn or scattered. Not to complicate things further, but when making a streusel, I am often reminded of a crumb topping, like Kate McDermott's crumb topping we made for the top of our blueberry fruit pies in our Pies and Proseccos class. Oh, you know how much I loved using a good crumb topping on a pie. <laughs> you know, I did a little digging, and it looks like a typical German streusel recipe calls for a ratio of one to one to two. Mm-hmm. So one part sugar to one part butter to two parts flour. Okay. While the typical American crumb topping is a three to one to two. <laughs> three parts sugar to one part butter to two parts flour. Well, no surprise there. Americans love their sugar. Now that I'm thinking of it, have we ever made a strudel? Nope, not yet. But the Pop-Tarts we made back in episode 125 do Mm. kind of remind me of like homemade toaster strudels from my childhood. Oh, that's my pixie food. Okay, next up is frosting versus icing. Okay, both are sweet. Both are used to cover cakes or cookies. Although the big difference in my mind, frosting is thicker and you spread it and icing is thinner and you drizzle it. And when I think frosting, I think fluffy because... Frosting has a cream base being made with butter. I spread frosting on my layer cakes, like Nigella's delicious chocolate Guinness cake we made in episode 151. And I drizzle icing on my bunt cakes, like Billy's gingerbread I made in episode 157. The icing there was thinner and glossier, and it really allowed the cake to shine through. But let's not get too strict with ourselves on this distinction, because... Remember how much we loved our pumpkin spice buttermilk bunt cake? And it was covered with cinnamon cream cheese frosting. And that was back in episode two. Andrea, I had that for my most recent birthday and I fell in love all (laughs) over again. I think we can all agree that when it comes to cake, either frosting or icing can vary, depending on the final look and sweetness you want to impart. Listeners, we hope we've cleared up a few sweet dilemmas in your kitchen with today's mini segment. Let us know the commonly confused terms that baffle you by dropping us an email at hosts at preheatedpodcast.com or popping a note in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed and we've got to get the sprinkles on top of this episode. We release new episodes every Monday morning and next week we'll find out if those precious pignoli cookies kicked off our month of love in festive fashion. We'll also celebrate Valentine's Day with an iconic Italian dessert that comes from one of the cookbook picks we revealed last year. And finally, we'll present some new options around the much maligned member of the chocolate family, every kid's favorite, milk chocolate. 
Thanks, as always, to Anne-Marie Russell for supplying our theme music. You can find Anne-Marie on Amazon and iTunes or at annemarierussell.com. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at PreheatedPod. And finally, if you like our show, please do tell a friend and subscribe. And consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Thanks for listening and sweet dreams. Preheated is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions. And first up is a classic Southern Italian cookie that takes its name from its star ingredient, Pignolia. <laughs> Darn it. Yeah, you were doing so well. <laughs> so if you look at the ingredients of the boxed almond paste, the ingredients are blanched almonds. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Um, wow, that's really pure. <laughs>